Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 16 is where I'm going to be today. Uh, You can grab a paper Bible and navigate to that spot, otherwise we'll have scripture on the screens. Luke chapter 16, as you're getting there, I want to share a story about Pastor Andrew. Uh, If you don't know Pastor Andrew, he leads young adults here at the church, also leads children's ministry. And over the last couple of months, he's been uh, working on a project at his house Uh, He hired a tree service to take a tree down and then also hired them to grind the the stump. Here's a picture of the stump. Uh, It's in the middle of his front yard. And I've, on the periphery, uh, been aware of what's happening because the tree obviously came down, but he's tried to get the stump removed by this company. They said they would do it. But every time uh, they schedule it, they call and reschedule it. You ever, you ever have that, right? You sign a contract for something or you engage in this transaction and your trust level is pretty high that it's going to get done and then after like the third time that they've rescheduled you, like, I don't know if this is going to happen. So Pastor Andrew asked for a, a morning off so he could be at his house because he thought uh, the company was going to be there uh, on this specific day and he just wanted to make sure it was going to get done and so I was like, yeah, take the morning off, no problem. He was at his house and he sent me a picture After the appointment, do you want to know what the picture looks like? Here's the picture. It didn't get done, right? uh, So where do you think Pastor Andrew's trust level is with this organization? It is way down there. Now, don't ask him later. He's not going to tell you the company that he had come out. And don't worry about it. He's going to figure out the stomp. You don't have to go help him. But here's the point. Trust is important, isn't it? Trust is important in business relationships, in marriages, in friendships. And when things like that happen, it creates this trust gap. Here's what a trust gap is. A trust gap is when our expectations, which are high trust, like my expectation is this thing gets done, but the actual experience is way different, and it creates this trust gap where there's actually a deterioration of trust, and it, it can be detrimental to things, not just business relationships, but friendships and marriages. And, and I don't know about you, I think we're potentially living at a time where we're struggling more now than in times past with trust. Let me give you a couple of examples. Politico, which is an organization, surveyed some of the top organizations' senior leadership. So think just for a second, some of the biggest organizations you can think of. And they went to the CEO and they said to the CEO of these organizations, what percentage of your customers trust you highly? And their answer was, we believe that 87% of our customers trust us highly. And then they went and they asked their customers, do you trust these organizations highly? And it was not 87% that said yes, it was actually 30%. 
Now, you might say, wow, but then I think of how many letters I've gotten in the last 18 months of an organization losing my sensitive information. Anybody ever gotten that letter? Yeah, so we've lost your sensitive. And so there's this trust gap. Or what about if we take an even bigger look, Gen Z. Gen Z is the generation that right now is considering having children. So it's a somewhat younger generation, but it's a powerful generation and it's big. And here's what Forbes says about Gen Z. He writes this, Forbes report falling levels of trust across every segment of our lives. That's in Gen Z. From the police to the courts, the military, news media, Hollywood, and of course, government. From last May till June, there was a 20-point decrease in the share of Gen Z that trusts people in power to do the right thing given the crises we face. It goes on to say this, Gen Z has the lowest trust of any generation, but the highest desire for relational trust of any organization or any generation. That's a trust gap. I don't know if you understand that. That creates issues as they go and try to create relationships with either organizations or in marriage or in friendships. As we as we think about trust being a fundamental pillar in our lives, it's also important in our spiritual lives. We're told all throughout scripture to trust in God. Look at this, uh, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your heart, literally, in the original language, means all your heart, like every bit of it. Like, we're supposed to trust God. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence in him, is in him. I, I don't know about you, but I have resolved that God is trustworthy. I can read about it. Old Testament news says it's just clear that we're supposed to trust in him, but in the ups and the downs of my life, I have found God trustworthy. But in a relationship, there's two sides of this relationship that develop trust. In scripture, it also says, Proverbs 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but look at this, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. We're supposed to be trustworthy as well, and there's benefits to being trustworthy when God looks down and he finds us trustworthy. There's an account in scripture in the Old Testament, a guy named Moses, he marries someone and another guy named Aaron uh, doesn't like who he's married, and there's this argument that, that crops up, and Aaron's saying, you didn't marry the right person, and it becomes such a heated argument that God actually steps in and speaks. Imagine how powerful that would be in your home if you got into the argument, and all of a sudden you were, stop it. Don't do that, right? It would be powerful, and this is what the Lord says in Numbers 12, 7, in the middle of this argument. Of all my house, he, Moses, is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Because of the trustworthiness of Moses, God actually found him trustworthy enough to speak to him face to face. I've spent a lot of my Christian life resolving the fact that God is trustworthy, but I've spent the last year, and particularly the last month, wrestling with this question, and I want you to wrestle with it as well. 
does God find me trustworthy? Think about that in your own life. It makes a difference. Like we can go back to almost any person in the Bible that had a trustworthy relationship with God and there was favor and there was solution and God did great things in their lives. So does God find you, me, trustworthy? I want to be found trustworthy when God looks down at me. Don't you? As you're thinking about that, I want to remind us that we're finishing up this series today called But God. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at accounts in Scripture where maybe things haven't been going great in the account, but there's these two words that pop up in Scripture, but God, and God enters into that situation and sheds light on it, gives clarity to it. And today, as we finish up this series, I want to look at a teaching from Jesus where he uses the but God, where he actually clarifies how to become more trustworthy to God, because it matters. And I want to look in uh, Luke chapter 16. I don't have to give you a lot of context. It's, it's fairly clear when I read it. But just to set the story up, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And as he's teaching them, other people are around him listening. Specifically, there's a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a group who are really trying to be accurate and true to God's word. And they're struggling in a couple of areas, but they're actually listening to Jesus' teaching. And so Jesus is saying this, verse 10 is where I'll start. Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In that section of scripture, there's a whole bunch that we could dig through, but I want to focus on two things that I have been focused on and I'm learning. So before I get into that, I'm going to pray. And the prayer is going to be for God to speak to us individually, to open our hearts and our minds so we hear what he wants to say. So let's pray. Will you pray with me? So Father, we thank you for your word. There's a lot of us listening that would love to become more trustworthy to you. And so I pray, God, as we dig through this account, as we listen to the teaching of Jesus, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears so we actually become, supernaturally, this morning, become more trustworthy to you. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what I see. You can write this in your handout if you'd like. Being trustworthy requires becoming dependable in the small things. Becoming dependable in the small things. Jesus is teaching his disciples, other people are listening, 
And what I find fascinating about his words is he's not speaking in parables. This is not like riddle territory. This is really clear, baseline, fundamental teaching. And he says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very very little will also be, be dishonest with much. There's not much confusion in this. When I read this, I immediately went back in my life to my uh, late teens, early 20s, before I was married to my wife, Anne. uh, I, if you took a picture of my financial life back then, it was way different. Anybody ever make financial stupid mistakes? A few of you. So uh, when I was in my early 20s, I had a job, it was, it was fine, but anything I wanted, I bought. I didn't have that much money. <laughs> and so what I would do is I would just borrow. And uh, it was not a great financial picture. On the outside, it looked great, but on the inside, it was a bit of a mess. And then I met my uh, wife. We started dating, and as we were progressing towards marriage, uh, she didn't know the entire the entirety of the financial picture I was in, but she, she said two things as a requirement if we were going to pursue marriage. The first is we're going to have to go to church every week because I was not. And the second was that anything we made, any part of our income, we would tithe 10% back to the church. And she was beautiful, and so I said, yes. <laughs> I'm just being transparent. I'm probably not the only one. Fast forward about a, a, a year, and I gave my life to, to Jesus. But if you look across our marriage, across 26 years, and our life has been, uh, there's been ups and downs, I could share with you like four specific ways in which God has shown up to do amazing things for provision in our life that I would undeniably point to because we have been faithful to the tithe before we got married, that God has shown up and been faithful to us. He has found us trustworthy in the small things. Does that make sense? This message is not all about money and tithing. It's it's really not, because look at this. Jesus even goes on in verse 11. He says, if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, that's money. Who will trust you with true riches That's not specifically money. Those are the things that God can look down and say, you know what, you need this. And he goes on, he says, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, that's not money. Who will give you property of your own? And so when I read that, I think of things that I have prayed for. Like I've wanted really big things. Anybody ever pray for really big things and not get them? I'm the only one. Right, you pray for really big, and I wonder how many times as I've prayed for big things, God has looked down and said, you know, you want that big thing, but did you realize that your room is a pit? There is no, there is no small, inconsequential thing to God. I'm not talking about works-based theology, but I cannot look at scripture like this and where God says, you have to be trustworthy in the small things if you want things bigger. Or God, I could really use some friends. Maybe you're praying that. God, I could really use some deep relationships. And I wonder if God looks down and goes, you got a neighbor. 
Why don't you go pay attention to your neighbor? They live right next to you. Maybe they need some help. God, I need a new car. Why don't you change your oil in the one you got? (laughs) You can write this down. What small things am I entrusted with now? It's a great question. Nothing is too small or insignificant to God. He sees what's going on. Jesus reiterates this teaching at the end of the book of Matthew. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's just undeniable when you read scripture, there's, there's this certain transaction that God is looking for, like, man, I want to find you trustworthy, but you got to be trustworthy in the small stuff. And maybe there's somebody in here and you're like, well, I, I don't have a lot. As I, was, as I was putting this message together, I, I felt a sense like somebody might even be arguing, I don't have a job, or, or I stay home with the kids. You know, when God looks down at our insignificance, he doesn't see that. He sees some of the most important jobs ever. If you're staying home taking care of your kids, you may have the most important job on the planet. You are pouring into the next generation. And so please recognize that is important. Or maybe you're retired and you're like, well, I don't, I really have nothing in my life's really that significant. You know what? You have time. You have time to pour into generations that need to learn the things that you've struggled with so we don't make the same mistakes. Be faithful in the small stuff. Colossians 3 says it this way. Whatever you do, that's like whatever you do. Work work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. You can write this in. Some of the smallest transactions in life are invitations to build trust. Some of the smallest transactions in life are invitations to build trust. As you're writing that, I know there's some big words in there. Even in our spiritual lives, if your life is hectic and you might only have five minutes during the day, spend those five minutes reading scripture during lunch. Whatever, you know, five minutes every day across 10 years is a lot of time. Maybe you can't tithe right now because money is a mess. Start somewhere and be faithful in the small stuff and work up to it because God sees that small action and he blesses it. No matter how small we think something is, we need to become trustworthy in it. Being trustworthy requires becoming dependable in the small things. The next thing I see in the text that Jesus is teaching about is this. You can write this in. Being trustworthy requires diagnosing what you defend. It's a weird way to put it, but I'm going to explain it in detail over the next hour. No, really. Jesus says this, Luke 16. He says, the Pharisee, or the the account is the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering, sneering at Jesus. It means that they were ridiculing him. They were actually saying something. They they disagreed. They they got poked at something they love. And so they just didn't roll their eyes. They were actually verbally saying things in opposition to Jesus. 
And Jesus says, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. Justify yourselves. I wanted to dig a little deeper in what that meant. You might know like what self-justification is, but I think it's worth really digging deeper into what Jesus was talking about because I don't want to do that. If I want to be found trustworthy by God, I should not self-justify myself, so let's figure out what this is. Here's the definition for self-justification. It's excusing of oneself or one's actions. It's making excuses to justify an action. It's actually about self-preservation. It's preserving something that I think is right. It, it actually, it allows people to believe that what they did was the best thing they could have done, even if it was wrong. Let me give you a, 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 a different example. I'm not a big TV guy, but over the last uh, couple of weeks, three, four weeks, I ran across a show called Doomsday Preppers. Anybody ever seen this show? A few of you. Okay, let me give you, and if you're a prepper, this is not a slam on you, you're fine, but you'll find out where I'm going here in a second. So the premise of the show is they follow a family or a group of people who are preparing for a doomsday scenario, whatever it is. They're they're, they're purchasing, storing food and water, and they're securing their property in some way. And so for the first probably 40 minutes of the show, you, you see all the intricate detail that this the show I was watching, it was this family. This family was putting into it. They were spending tens of thousands of dollars to prep for this scenario. Well, the last 10 minutes is when an expert steps in at the end of the show and they grade them on a couple of areas. Uh, Food, water, security, and this thing they call the X factor, which is like, how creative are you in prepping? And they score them on a, a zero to 100. 100 is you did amazing. And then they tell them how long they could survive on their prepping ability. And so as I'm watching this and seeing all the stuff going on, the expert steps in and and gives this family a score of, I think it was like 63 out of 100. And immediately the husband of the family starts to argue with the expert while he is right. Even though the expert said, you know, if you do this, your food's not going to last very long. It could spoil. And here's the husband. No, it's not going to spoil. You have no idea what you're talking about because I did this, 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 this. this. He's self-justifying himself and creating this alternate reality. And I had two thoughts. The first is, wow, you have spent a lot of money on prepping. That's just my first thought. My second thought was, I feel bad for that family who's listening to the expert, yet also listening to dad, who's self-justifying while the expert's wrong. He's created this false reality trying to defend that his decisions were the best decisions ever. And the reality is, which is exactly what we find happening with the Pharisees, the reality is you're missing the truth. Think think of the Pharisees for a second. The, The Pharisees had been praying, had been expecting a Messiah, and Jesus is in front of them. And they're self-justifying their actions, and they're actually missing the very thing they're hoping for. Completely miss the truth. They're not lying. The the doomsday guy was not lying. See, self-justification is not lying. In this book, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, (laughs) it's a fun book title, 
Self-justification is defined like this. Self-justification is not the same as lying or making excuses. It's more powerful, more dangerous than the explicit lie. It allows people to convince themselves that what they did was the best thing they could have done and in fact come to think of it, it was the right thing. Self-justification is like quicksand. When we begin to do it, we create an alternate reality and we just keep falling deeper and deeper into that hole. And that alternate reality is on beliefs that we make, not that God makes. Here's what scripture says about that. Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. There is an inherent danger. This doesn't just break trust with God, but there is an inherent danger when we create an alternate reality on whatever it is. Whatever it is. I drink because, I smoke because, well, I have to steal, and it's really not stealing, it's because... And we create these alternate realities where we think that we're right and we justify ourselves and we justify ourselves against things that are actually sin and we don't believe they're sin, yet scripture tells us in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But it goes on, if we confess our sins, if we're quick to say, hey, we're wrong, I'm wrong, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And it goes on. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Self-justification is one of the quickest ways to break trust with God. So here's my challenge. This is a challenge that I'm going to undertake this week. I've tried to pay attention to it. I'm not perfect at this. But the challenge for the coming week that I invite you to, and I don't want to take this lightly, is to evaluate how quickly I am to defend myself. You can write that down. I want, you to, I want us to, I could have said, how quick am I to self-justify? But maybe it's easier to think of it this way. What am I quick to defend? What am I quick to jump in with? I'm right. No, 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 that sounds like good wisdom, but I'm right because I want us to pause this week and really figure out what's going on in our heart. And I want to defend the things that will never change that are based on the word of God and the teachings of Jesus because that's when I will be found most trustworthy when God looks down at me. We're not fooling God when we justify ourselves. Look at this. Jesus ends his his little uh, speech to the disciples and the Pharisees this way. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of the Lord, but God knows your hearts. We're not fooling anybody. We're just breaking trust with God. And I do not know, I started with this earlier. I do not know about you, but I want to be found trustworthy. When God looks down and says, you know what? I'm looking for someone who could go and do this. And he looks and he says, oh, I found you. You've been trustworthy.
So being trustworthy requires being dependable in the small things and diagnosing what you defend. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of praying. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.